Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, a.k.a. Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's LaMarvelous. Thank you, guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. Depending on when you are listening to this, it is Tuesday, August 25th or Wednesday, August 26th. My name is Jake Luke and I'm joined by my co-host who's uh, dealing with some uh, things that have got him all fired up right now, Spencer Schultz. That's the way I like it. So I'm, I'm happy to be introducing you here on this lunch hour edition of the show. Absolutely. We are doing the damn thing live. I'm out here in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, I believe. Uh, Easton, maybe somewhere out there, but staying in like a long-term hotel for now. Nice little, nice little place, two beds for whatever reason. I might need a second bed, jump around, do some various things. But uh, yeah, I'm up here getting my training done and all that good stuff. And holy shit, have we had a whirlwind of tumultuous media coverage surrounding the Ravens since we last recorded. It was Jake's birthday yesterday. Happy birthday to Jake. I incorrectly wished him a happy birthday on Sunday because I got the date wrong, but it was early and not late. That's always good. Um, So happy birthday to Jake as well. And then, of course, an absolute just shit show for the Ravens to accompany Jake's birthday. Yeah, I mean, I'm a birthday week guy. So, I mean, you got it right in the sense that it's my birthday week. So I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, and we did want to wait a little bit, A, because I was down at the beach and uh, wanted to recharge my batteries a little bit uh, prior to us hopping on and discussing all of this. Uh, and also, I wanted to wait and see how the situation fully, you know, wound up. You know, Earl Thomas, obviously, is going to be the main thing that we're discussing here. I wanted to see if he was going to wind up signing with anybody right away. Uh, like I said, we're recording this on Tuesday. He was released two days ago at this point. Hasn't happened yet. The front runner, the Dallas Cowboys, we're going to discuss that Uh being reported by Ian Rappaport. They're probably not really even in the mix for him. So it seems like uh, this situation has a lot of layers to it, and they're going to keep being pulled back further and further. And uh, I'm wondering if we should just jump right into it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so basically this all started on, what was it, Friday, when Earl got into a fight with Chuck Clark. Thursday. Thursday. Okay, so Earl gets into a fight with uh, his you know safety tandem there, Chuck Clark, in practice over a blown coverage. He sent home. Uh, he remained home on Friday uh, during practice. He didn't come to the facility. There were some uh, reports circulating about that. Earl then tweeted out this or Instagrammed out this apology, essentially stating what happened, what went wrong. This video of uh, what had happened in practice. There was some chatter about that, but just a very strange situation. So. Uh, it winds up playing out that over the weekend, reports start to, you know, start to trickle out that the Ravens were considering what to do with his future. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a very bizarre situation in the way that the news came out and everything. There was all these reports that very slowly started to come out that the situation with him and the other players and the team was toxic uh, and that, you know, it was kind of becoming an untenable relationship. Um, and the timeline is that, on Saturday, a lot of that stuff started to come out. Then on Sunday, it became pretty explicitly stated that he was kind of behaving like a jackass, and it went back a very long time. 
and the Ravens had kind of been almost looking for a way to get rid of him at that point. That was sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. So he got released on Sunday. Uh, like I said, after that altercation, basically uh, was the final you know fuse that uh, you know lit this situation on fire. Like I said, the situation had been toxic. The team had been relatively quiet on the matter uh, throughout all of it and after him being released. So Deshaun Elliott is now kind of tapped as his replacement in-house. He spoke to the media. He didn't really have much to say on it. John Harbaugh spoke to the media, I think, a few times since then. Hasn't really had much to say on it either other than he wishes the best for Earl and his family and he'll leave it at that, which I think is somewhat cryptic. And if you want to pull your tinfoil hat out, you can kind of look into that a little bit and what that means. But yeah, like we said, there there's some known incidents with him this offseason. So you had the situation with his family, which at the time, I mean, let's be honest, we were all kind of laughing at it. It was sort of an interesting, sort of funny situation. Seemed to have resolved itself at this point. It seemed like he and his wife are actually on pretty good terms, if not back together. I'm not really sure about that uh, right now. But yeah, so you had that. You have, I think, like Barstool Banks and Jeff Zarebeck talking about how he's been like a toxic character there for over a year at this point. And uh, one concrete story that we heard uh, that could confirm that came out from Mike Silver saying that after missing a mandatory team meeting, he claimed that he had to get his car washed, which uh, excuse goals, I guess. Uh, and then Jeff has kind of been actively commenting on the situation. Uh, he wrote that it was like a bad fit from the beginning. He reported that the Ravens panicked in the 2019 offseason, which is kind of the first time hearing from this and offered him four times more than any other team without really doing any homework on him, his character, how he was going to fit. And uh, it sort of led to him just being a square peg in the round hole from the beginning, uh, not meshing with the players on the team, not meshing with the coaching staff or the front office, and uh, just being a bad culture fit and essentially sabotaging his way out. I don't know to what extent he wanted to be gone. I don't know what the extent of what was going on with his personal life and all the stuff that's being alluded to. But yeah, he's officially gone as of Sunday. Other teams reportedly in on him, like I said, are the Cowboys, who might just be out of the running at this point. The Texans and the 49ers also apparently uh, sniffing around on Earl Thomas. But I'd kind of be surprised to see him get signed by anyone at this point. It sounds like the dude is just sort of off the rails. I mean, Antonio Brown got picked up by the Patriots. Like, someone will sign him, just not, like, if he wants to play, someone will bring him in on a one-year, $7 million contract, you know, it like, Cleveland saw Grant Delpit go down. I'm not sure they're going to sign him, but uh, there will be injuries. There will be you know teams that need a damn free safety, and Earl's a good one. Earl's a really good one. Uh, you know, in terms of different important metrics uh, per Sports Info Solutions, Baltimore finished fourth in the NFL in EPA allowed on throws to the middle of the field, which are you know arguably the most valuable plays in football, throwing the ball over the middle of the field. Uh, the ability to defend that is extremely valuable to a defensive success, especially a team like Baltimore that runs cover one. So man with, you know, one safety patrolling kind of that middle interme intermediate area between the numbers, between the hashes. Uh, then in terms of completion percentage over expectation, teams when targeting Earl Thomas uh, were minus 24.9% when targeting Earl Thomas in 2019. So that means if, there's a throw that is expected to be completed 65% of the time. Thomas was about 25% lower than that when targeted. So he was somewhere around, you know, 35% when targeted on, on those throws. Uh, that was tops in the NFL. He was 12.9 uh, expected points when targeted, uh, resulting in a loss. So he added, you know, basically saved the Ravens 13 points throughout the season. That was second among safeties. And his 23.1 success rate allowed was the best rate in the NFL. So Thomas was a good safety. He still is a good safety. Uh, there's a thousand, every metric you can look at in terms of coverage, Earl Thomas is in the top 20, top 15, top 10, top five, top three, number one, number two. Like he had a unanimously strong season last year, allowed the Ravens to play those true single high looks and also came up in the box and did some different things. So long story short, Earl can still play. That's not the question. And people talk, who talk about, you know, oh, what a horrible signing by Eric Tacosta. No, it, you can't say that because the quality of play was there. The talent was there. Um, the, the In the locker room stuff, the freelancing, whatever you want to call it, I mean, the attitude, it really seemed, boils down to the attitude and the work ethic were not there. And, you know, the Ravens maybe didn't do the most homework, but when you see Jason LaCamfora, tweeting out the language of Earl Thomas's contract with Baltimore, 
it shows that there's specific language that Earl Thomas will default on guarantees if he acts in detriment to the team, if his conduct is detrimental to the team. And so now looking at the list of things that the Ravens can use, I mean, it's not one thing. It's being late to team meetings, not showing up to team meetings. The Ravens reportedly fined him multiple times in the past month, which was news to me until yesterday or was news to me yesterday. So the Ravens did a great, I mean, great job for them for keeping that in house and not letting the media grab a hold of that and make the situation really sour, uh, you know, before he had, they end up finally cutting him and, and letting the media kind of dictate what they're going to do. So definitely uh, shows that they're able to keep things under wraps, which is always nice and keeps things in house for the most part. But at this point, you know, someone's going to sign him. Someone's going to need a safety. Someone will take a shot on him. He's, you know, he definitely walked, talked himself out of locker rooms in Seattle and Baltimore now. Two strong organizations, strong head coaches, all that stuff. But, uh, I mean, what, what, what do you lose if you sign him for one? Like, the Ravens are potentially losing a lot of dead money. That's one thing. They had a multi-year deal with a lot of guaranteed money. But what do you lose if you sign him to a one-year, $7 million contract with, you know, no guarantees or a couple million guaranteed? You don't lose shit. Uh, so it's fine. Another team will sign him, I believe. It might not be right now. It might not be in the next you know, couple weeks, but I, I believe Earl Thomas will play football in 2020 somewhere in the NFL. Uh, it's you know difficult. And thinking back to this situation, as far as you know, kind of just how the, the feelings that you get as a Ravens fan, obviously Jake and I are both Ravens fans. And at first it was like, kind of like, oh, wow, they sent him home from this fight. Like shit, we, we, knew, we knew he was kind of brash and standoffish and whatever, and, and you know, kind of sensitive to some, some comments and locker room situations in Seattle and stuff. But, we didn't really hear anything about Baltimore. So it's like, oh, wow, he got sent home. That's pretty big news. Like, definitely think he's going to get a big fine or a big suspension. Then he gets cut, and I was taken aback because it was like, wow, they never even fined him. They, they didn't suspend him first. Like, that's, you know, usually it's it's like a strike system. You know, first strike, second strike, third strike, you're out. And, like, stuff like that. And so I was like, wow, like, really surprised that the Ravens had cut him. And then, you know, that's why it's good that we recorded this today because then the kind of trickle news comes out of Silver saying that he's missing – fucking walkthroughs because he's getting his car washed like what, what are you talking what are you talking about what do you have to get your what do you have to get your car washed what the fuck like that is the least necessary thing of all time it's like, kind of sick honestly it is it just shows like where his priorities are and the quality of play is there and like that's an argument that can be made and and you know maybe earl doesn't need to be there or something but then when he's blowing assignments to the point where chuck clark is smacking his helmet on the ground and getting really fired up that's telling when the locker room doesn't support Earl Thomas at all. And, you know, I like to draw the parallel here with Calais Campbell. And, you know, obviously he hasn't even played a game yet, but he's Walter Payton man of the year. He's, you know, talk, immediately comes to Baltimore, talks about what he wants to do for the community. You see videos every day at a training camp of him talking about talking to Matabuke and younger players and chopping it up and, and just being a nice guy and a leader and a veteran and, uh, trying to instill whatever wisdom he can and, and do his part. And then you look at Earl Thomas and you're like, well, shit, that is pretty much the polar opposite of what we've seen from Earl Thomas. He's, you know, made comments, made comments here and there. And I really think Zreback was uh, hit the nail on the head and it goes back. There's an article. I can't recall the author written by the athletic. I'll look it up later, but uh, basically saying what you said, Jake, about how the Ravens kind of just panicked, shot in, sent Earl a huge contract Earl's never been to Baltimore. He doesn't have any teammates that he played with in Seattle. He doesn't have any common coaches that are on the Ravens staff that have coached him before. So he truly is just coming into Baltimore blind in a way, you know, uh, what played in Baltimore one game in his career, I think as a Seahawk. I'm not sure. I, I believe it might so. be zero. Yeah. 2015, unless he was hurt by that point. Um, Cause that was the game where I think Clawson started and he like, through like four picks and uh russell wilson just ran all over them that year or uh that, that game. day yeah he, he was really good that year um yeah i mean you hit on a ton of it there just a very very bizarre situation you mentioned all the stuff about them not finding him not suspending him it kind of turned out that they had sort of been doing that behind the scenes they've been keeping a lot of this under wraps and it all came out in a spectacular fashion over the weekend and I think there was a little bit of a disconnect. You mentioned how good of a player he is. I think there was a little bit of a disconnect with the way you and I specifically were commenting on this uh, as you know, opposed to some of the listeners of our show that were interacting with us. We were both, I wouldn't say dismissive of the fight. We weren't you know, talking down the gravity of the situation, but my take on it, and this is still kind of my take on it, is that this is a big loss no matter how you slice it. I mean, this guy was a pretty damn good player for you know, the team last year. And for a couple different reasons, I mean, 
he's obviously brings a lot to the table leadership wise, or that's what we thought. And then also it's just what his presence on the field does. It takes away half the field. I mean, you're tweeting out some of those charts earlier today about how teams just didn't throw his way. And now that's going to be tested big time with Deshaun Elliott stepping into the mix. And uh, I'm a little bit concerned about that as a Ravens fan, like you mentioned. Uh, I mean, Chuck Clark stock all the way up though. Sure. I mean, Chuck Clark was solid in coverage. Uh, blitzed more. See, the thing is like, I just think it's going to end up leading scheme-wise to more too high looks. More That means more cover two, more cover four, more cover six, uh, more two-man man coverage, two-man under, so two safeties high, and then everyone else man across the board, stuff like that. And while that's not a horrible thing, it's just, it's just slightly limiting. Uh, there's going to be a drop-off. Whoever, if it's Deshaun, if Deshaun Elliott plays really well and really consistently and – you know, can play some cover one, some cover three, deep third or deep middle and some cover one, uh, that deep middle as well, kind of roaming across there. If he plays well, he, there will still be a drop off, um, in play. I don't believe like what the Ravens called cover zero more than any other team in the league. Um, different people have different things on that, but like it was never new England had the most cover zero in the league. And according to PFF, Thomas was the 12th graded, uh, in, in man coverage, he was the 12th graded DB overall like not just safeties corners like thomas was really great in the slot too he played a lot of slap snaps in the slot did a lot of good things so jimmy smith to sean elliott you know if they play well there will still be a small drop off but i don't when i say that i don't i'm not saying the drop off means the ravens go from you know let's say in parallel universes the ravens with earl thomas everything's dandy go 12 and 4 this year and now because they don't like in 2020 and now in the other world because they don't have Earl Thomas, they go nine and seven. Like it's not that big of a drop off. Maybe it's one game where, you know, they get gashed a little bit over the middle of the field and maybe they wouldn't with Earl Thomas and maybe they lose. Maybe they don't. Maybe it's two games um, that are kind of, you know, the margin for error is a lot thinner and the Ravens are exploited deep a little bit over the middle, but at the end of the day, they still have really good corners. So you can rely on those corners more and, you know, strap the fuck up in man coverage. And it, it just limits your scheme a little tiny bit. But Wink blitzes so much. The front seven is improved to the point where I feel like the loss of Earl Thomas and the drop off between Thomas and Elliott or Smith or whoever else they bring in. Maybe it's Brandon Carr. Maybe it's Logan Ryan. Maybe whoever. As opposed to the upgrades to from basically Brandon Williams to Clayus Campbell, Michael Pierce to Brandon Williams and Chris Wormley to Derek Wolf, having LJ Fort back and then also adding Malik Harrison and... Patrick Queen, bringing McPhee back and Ward and, you know, maybe Tyus Bowser steps up a little more, it sounds like. And I've been, we've been lobbying for that, you know, I especially for this whole past year. And I think that those additions and the positive uh, comparison from what the Ravens had in the front seven last year will outweigh the drop off from Earl Thomas to Deshaun Elliott and Jimmy Smith. And, you know, I don't have quantitative stat on that yet because I really you really can't and I see videos of people trying to break down Deshaun Elliott's play and there's one that has like 50,000 views on YouTube that was floating around some Ravens groups and whatever and uh you know it was, it was a nice little demonstration at the end of the day Deshaun Elliott hasn't fucking started a game he has not played one game like as a starter you can't go look at the Bengals game he played last year and be like, this is the player he is. Here is how he's different from Earl Thomas. We don't know what he, how he is. What, give him eight starts before you even start to judge him like that. Like, he's got to develop like a handicap first. Right. You need to you know, let him get in there, take some licks, and make some mistakes and whatever, and see how it is in the second half of the season. And that's when the Ravens really turn shit on anyway. And if the drop-off by that second half of the season is that high... What do you think Eric Costco is going to do? Just sit there with his, you know, sit on his hands? No, he's going to go acquire a player that can come in and help them in some way and boost them up. He, there's no reason to panic knowing how bad the Ravens defense was to start last year, weeks three and four, especially. And then seeing the massive overhaul that Eric DaCosta was able to do with a fifth round pick and, you know, some guys off the street. So Earl Thomas, the drop off there, it, it's not a reason for Ravens fans to panic. It's not a reason for the defense to panic. Um, you know, I was tweeting out the accuracy chart or the target charts from Next Gen Stats, which are such a great resource. Awesome stuff from Next Gen Stats. They have GPS location on literally everything in the NFL. It's incredible. Obviously, I always talk about that. Make sure to check it out. Enhance your knowledge. And they 
will get targeted over the middle of the field more than they would with Earl Thomas now. And whether that's due to Earl Thomas, you know, being really good still or Earl Thomas's presence and kind of like, oh, like in, you're in meetings week before. Don't throw up balls. Over, if you don't know where Earl Thomas is, don't throw it over the middle of the field. Like it's a combination of the two, his name, his presence, as well as the, the skill that he still has. Um, so teams are probably going to test them. And I wrote about it. I've tweeted it. But to reiterate, you know, they're going to have trial by fire weeks one, two, and three. They're going to play Cleveland, who had Baker Mayfield attempt 58 deep passes last year. Only he attempted one in week four against the Ravens last year. And I think three in week 16. So four total deep balls. So that's well below his norm. So when you take those two games out, his per game average against everyone else is like six and a half or seven attempts per game. So Baker Mayfield's probably going to air the ball out a little bit. Test Deshaun Elliott, test Jimmy Smith, whoever else they have. Then it's Deshaun Watson and the Texans. Deshaun threw 61 deep passes. That was sixth in the NFL, right ahead of Baker. Uh, the Ravens freaking smothered the Texans last time they played. You didn't even try to throw over the middle of the field. Watson had no clue what was going on that game. Absolute blowout. And then Mahomes, obviously he was fourth, I believe, in deep passes with 70 attempts in only 14 games. We all know about Patrick Mahomes. I don't have to tell you about how Patrick Mahomes throws the ball deep. Um, but yeah, they're going to air it out. They're going to test those guys. And like what happened last year, if by week four, week five, they're getting gashed over the middle of the field, the safety play is really bad. Jimmy Smith isn't up to par. Deshaun Elliott isn't up to par. They'll go get someone. They're a contender. Their offense is probably going to score 30 points a game again, be top five at the least in the NFL uh, in terms of scoring. Their front seven is way better. They still have two all pro corners and Jimmy Smith and Tavon Young. Um, you know, and like Anthony Averett is a as a fifth corner. It's pretty good. Like he's a really good fourth or fifth corner. Uh, so they're fine there. Chuck Clark probably going to play a little bit more high, a little bit more, like I said, Eric Weddle, Tony Jefferson stuff. And I think with the way looks. that I think with the way that his profile has grown. Uh, both prior to this whole thing happening and then with this dust-up. I think his teammates gained a lot of respect for him and that he was willing to stand up to Thomas and finally call him on his bullshit because it sounds like there was a lot going on and there was a lot of friction between those two. And Clark already has been lauded as one of the smartest players in the locker room. I think from that perspective, as far as the smarts on the back end and the communication, I think they're going to be just fine there with him kind of helming it now. Right, and Clark gets a full offseason as the starter, as the guy with the green dot, whatever. You know, maybe the green dot gets passed along. Fans are obsessed with the green dot. While it's you know a little bit important, I think it's some crazy like fan that. Uh, who do you know. think? Who do you think has the green dot of this podcast? Um, that would be MD Law. So hard. Okay, I like that answer. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, so I think you know, yeah, there might be a little bit of drop off at the safety play. They got rid of a top fucking five ten safety and the best safety over the last ten years. And if I mean. The thing is, someone made a good point. I don't know who it is. So I'm stealing someone's words. But when you're in a, a locker room, when there's a troubled player, whether it's, you know, Josh Gordon or, uh, you know, I guess Antonio Brown to an extent at times, he obviously took it too far and this isn't the case. But, you know, Des Bryant, some of these troubled players that have, you know, off the field problems and stuff. Number one. They might, they probably still are showing up to team meetings, like maybe not Antonio Brown, but other guys. Ed Reed famously had plenty of issues with Harbaugh early on, and he was still showing up to meetings. Um, I mean, obviously, that sort of fluctuated with him uh, eventually staging a mutiny, um, but that was also the same year they won the Super Bowl. So, a lot of, lot of roller coaster rides with Ed Reed. Absolutely. There's tons of stuff, and there's players who are different, have problems off the field. But when those off the field problems, which Earl Thomas did have this offseason, you know, domestic issue, which wasn't, you know, he didn't, he wasn't violent, but he had a domestic issue. And the Ravens taboo on domestic issues. We don't even have to discuss that. That's well documented uh, how Steve Bashotti thinks of that. But so you have that. The players don't care about that. But when it gets to the point where he is so against the grain of the meetings, the locker room, the culture, the the professional part of being an NFL player, especially a, one who gets paid $55 million uh, with what, 30 something guaranteed, 32 guaranteed or whatever. And it's where the, where other starters on the defense are like, get this guy the fuck out of here. That, I mean, that says it all because Des Bryant, these other guys that have these issues, teammates usually will have their back 
on those kinds of things, like off the field and whatever. But when it's that bad and your professionalism is in question and all those things, like it, it, it's time to go. If the players think they're better off defensively, even without him, possibly, like got to go. And Michael Campanero was tweeting out some stuff, like saying, <laughs> if you think Earl is one of the best cover safeties, you're crazy and, and whatever. Like, I don't mean man coverage, like even though PFF graded him really highly. So whatever. Campanero but, is not an Earl Thomas guy confirmed. Yeah, Michael Campanero, huge not Earl Thomas guy. I'm assuming he has uh, a lot of friends in that locker room, and that's kind of why he's uh, come out so staunchly against him. But he was mixing it up, including with you on Twitter, uh, about being anti-Earl Thomas. He wound up being right. Right. And so it's it's going to be interesting all around. And, you know, people are like, oh, well, what, what what about Kansas City now in week three? They're going to throw blah, blah, blah. The drop no, offs, listen, no, no Super Bowl, clear. no Super Bowl contender has a 100% perfect roster. The Ravens, with the exception of maybe interior offensive line, maybe wide receiver to a certain extent, probably. Those are probably the only two questions marks I personally would have had. You can probably add free safety to that now, but no Super Bowl contender is just 100%. I mean, that's no NFL team with the way the salary cap era has uh, changed things, but... That's just the way it is right now, and uh, they're going to have to learn to live without him, and it might be addition by subtraction with the uh, you know, amount of dickheaded behavior by this guy. Absolutely, and you know, you're talking about no Super Bowl contender. The 2014 Ravens end up making a little postseason run, winning a game, and then going to New England to go play, and end up losing because they didn't have, like, think about how bad the 2014 Ravens corners were in the playoffs, like the guys that they had on that roster, and were still they still won a playoff game. Like the Ravens, are if not five. for a fluke double pass by Edelman, they might have very well gone on to an AFC championship that year. Right. And if they were able to take down New England, they very well could have played in a Super Bowl with horrible DBs. But look at the Eagles last year. They had no receivers, no DBs and won a game or no, they won their division and uh, were within a score of the Seahawks for four quarters with a backup quarterback and with Josh McCown playing quarterback and no receivers, no DBs. Like, no corners at all. So the Ravens are f- a far cry from there. They're going to be fine. Whatever they need to do, they'll figure it out in season. Maybe they end up, you know, more of a 10-6, and 11-5 team than a freaking 16-0 and 0 Colin Coward, you know, greatest team of all time. But that's fine. They just need to get there. They also have a guy in Chris Hewitt, who they're very invested in, who spoke to the media today, who I've always been impressed with and has done a tremendous job with this DB group, including, and listen, I was one of the, I tweeted out, when all this stuff started, whenever you get the chance to replace an all-pro with a six-round pick who can't stay healthy, you got to do it. Egg on my face. That's exactly what they're going to do. I mean, where did Chuck Clark come from? He was a six-round pick, right? And, uh, you know, he just got an extension. I'm talking very highly of him. Uh, I hope that that's what happens with uh, Deshaun Elliott, uh, as Spencer has gone off the stream for some reason. Uh, don't know what happened there. Adding him back. You there? Yeah, just like refresh for some reason, but go nice. ahead. Nice. Yeah, but I hope that I hope that Elliot's able to prove me wrong. I don't want to come across as anti-Elliot. I'm sure many people interpreted my tweet that way. Uh, but no, I like I said, I hope the guy proves me wrong. I probably wasn't super high on Chuck Clark when he stepped in for Tony Jefferson. I don't. I'm not going to pretend I know what these guys are going to do. But uh, it's just next man up at this point. And honestly, like I, I'm. I wanted him to stick around because he's a great player and I wanted it to work out and you don't want the organization to look bad because quite frankly, they do look kind of bad here in that they invested in a guy like this. But ultimately, man, I, you know, I'm rooting big time for Deshaun Elliott. I am a supporter and believer in a guy like Chris Hewitt to coach these DBs up. And ultimately I think they're going to be just fine. And like you mentioned with the 10 and six, 11 and five thing, I kind of already thought that that's where they were going to be anyway, not to reveal any predictions for the season, but uh, this doesn't really change my opinion on that to be quite honest. No, and you know they're going to be a really good team. Their offense is going to be prolific. Their defense can still play. They still have Clay Campbell. They still have Marlon Humphrey. They still have Marcus Peters. They have a slew of defensive players that you know Matt Judon, one of the better edges in the league. Like they're fine. They have a their defense now is still better than it was in 2018 when they had a good defense and went to the postseason and were then you know they had the ball in the fourth quarter with 48 seconds left and a chance to win the game. So that's not it. Coaching needs to improve. They can't get away from their identity offensively in the playoffs. Like those things aren't changed. The issues that the Ravens have had falling short of their goals are unchanged by this. So it is what it is. 
Uh, they have Tavon Young back as well. So I didn't even mention Tavon, I don't think. And, and if he's able to stay healthy, he's a heck of a player, playmaker. Maybe we see him, you know, rotate and roll into some coverages and, and get a little deep. And he has great ball skills and pretty good instincts. So they'll be able to mask the loss for Earl Thomas. It's not the end all be all. And yeah, they'll, they'll be okay. The Ravens will be okay. They just are going to have to mix up coverage a little bit more. They might see a little bit more dime, uh, more, you know, multiple guys back there, even more, even though they pretty much led the league in dime already. I don't know about that necessarily. I would actually think the other way now. So I'm talking myself out of that one because they drafted two linebackers and they have LJ Ford. So maybe it's still a little bit less dime, but uh, race car packages, you know, having the, 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 Interesting edge combinations, dropping guys in coverage. Like the Ravens' defensive identity is not lost with Earl Thomas leaving. They're still going to confuse you, bluff. And I mean, Thomas notoriously talked about how, like, I guess explicitly talked about how he it was a complex system. He didn't he didn't know it when it. he got there, right? Yeah, exactly. So you know, whatever, it's fine. It's a shit storm, and now the Derrick Henry memes can finally end. Yeah, I mean, in fact, they're sort of being weaponized by Ravens fans at this point. I never really cared to begin with because I think the Titans are going to be irrelevant again uh, starting this year for the most part. So uh, that's kind of whatever. Uh, you know, like I said with Earl, like I wanted it to work out. I liked him a lot as a player. I thought he had a lot of swag off the field. Uh, certainly seemed that way for a while, but it kind of seems like things took a tank in his personal life. I think that maybe started to affect him uh, in his professional life. And here we are, man. He's off the team uh, it's disappointing all around, but like I said, we're moving forward. The Ravens are probably going to be fine, and uh, that is the end of one of the strangest sagas in Ravens history dating back probably to around March slash April when all the domestic stuff came up. Anything else on Earl Thomas? Wish him the best. Hope he you know goes somewhere and makes some money so the Ravens get some of that money back in an offset. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe the Ravens will end up playing against Earl Thomas as a lot of his likely suitors – or I guess speculative suitors are on the Ravens schedule this year. So we shall see. Maybe we'll see Earl Thomas again in Baltimore in a different Jersey. Yep, exactly. So moving on from that nice little half hour segment there, we are going to be pivoting, switching gears to a little stadium attendance update. So the Ravens have announced that they will not be hosting fans for quote, the initial part of the 2020 season. Here's a statement from the team's website. Ultimately the health and safety of our entire community is at the forefront of every decision we make. We will always protect the well-being of our fans, players, coaches, and staff. Our organization will continue to closely monitor and adjust accordingly to all developments surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic. We will remain in communication with local and state officials, working carefully to create appropriate measures that might eventually permit a limited number of fans at home games this season. This comes after the announcement that 14,000 fans would be allowed, the subsequent reduction of that figure to 7,500, and there's currently no timetable indicating what the initial part of the season means with Baltimore set to host Cleveland, Kansas City, and Cincinnati through the first five weeks of the season. It's good for me, selfishly. Uh, first year, I won't be able to attend Ravens games, and they're not playing any for fans. Fans aren't allowed. So silver lining for me there. It sucks for sure. People talk about home field advantage, whatever. I think that stuff is, you know, has has a lot to do with travel. The fans can play a part in it too, but, you know, crowd noise affects the defense too affects their communication, get the energy, all that stuff. You can, it, it's just really hard to measure the true effect it has, the true impact. So uh, evens the playing field a little bit maybe. And Ravens have a good roster, good coaching, good quarterback, star players coming off a 14 and two year home field advantage is not gonna, you know, again, another thing that's not going to make the difference in the Ravens accomplishing or not accomplishing their goals. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's something that is disappointing for a lot of people that enjoy attending the games. But for me personally, I was kind of past the idea of attending a game in 2020 to begin with. I don't have season tickets like you do, so it's a little bit different for me. But I do manage to make it out to a lot of the home games, or at least I have in the last couple of years uh, since my family got rid of ours. Um, but yeah, it, like I said, very strange situation that uh, you know relates to COVID-19. It feels like it's affecting every single thing in our lives. It's going to be for at least the foreseeable future here, at least through 2020. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, no fans for at least the early part of the season. And if I had to wager a guess, I think it's probably going to continue on throughout the 2020 regular season. But who knows? Yeah, could change after the election, things like that. But um, it's going to be interesting. You know, whatever. We'll we'll see. It uh, feels like it's easy just to go that route and, and probably stay there for a while. But yeah, looks like no home games for Ravens fans. Yeah, I think it's pretty much the right decision unless you had rolled out some 
incredibly detailed plan on how you were going to keep people safe. They didn't really seem to have done anything like that quite yet. They've got enough going on, I would imagine. So, uh, yeah, it's, you know, kind of a disappointing thing. I'm, I'm glad that it's worked out for you time-wise. So thanks for spiking the football on that. It has worked out and it adds less, you know, it can save money in a way if the Ravens are able to, you know, not worry about fans and security and all that extra stress. And maybe it reduces contact and, and spread for the players and things like that. So maybe it keeps people healthy. So it could be a very good thing in the end. Yeah. And there's a lot of weird stuff going on with like player testing and stuff with uh, all these like false positives and stuff going to that lab in New Jersey. I didn't totally know what was going on with that. So I would say maybe the NFL needs to get a full handle on COVID before uh, they start allowing fans into their stadiums. Right. So moving on from that, we had a little bit of a strange situation with Lamar Jackson. So he had missed a couple of days of practice uh, with passing game coordinator David Culley stating that he was dealing with a dead arm. Then a report emerged about it being a soft tissue injury. That was then confirmed to be a groin issue. But regardless, he was back at practice on Monday. Everything appears to be normal. Uh, shout out to Jonas Schaefer for making the connection between a dead arm and a groin injury. I thought that was uh, very creative and made me laugh. What do you think about that? Yeah, not a huge deal. Not a huge deal. Um, I was worried about the dead arm thing a little bit, and I think that I talked about that a little bit on Twitter. Let, let his arm rest. He hasn't stopped throwing. You know, He played, won the Heisman at Louisville 2017, 2016 and into 2017 so probably through that entire offseason trying to get better trying to get better because he's a workaholic then moves into uh 2018 again which is going to follow the season with getting ready for the nfl draft didn't do any running didn't do any of that stuff just throwing 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 comes into ravens camp has to work on his mechanics has to work on widening his base has to work on his release throwing 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 takes over as a starter throwing 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 is going to be the is going to be the starter so obviously last offseason through the entire offseason through the entire season led the NFL in touchdown passes throwing 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 again lose to the Titans come back and then the Bleacher Report article comes out him and Hollywood Brown you know a week after the Titans lost throwing 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 months and months and months and years and years and years throwing 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 don't wear your shoulder out once you start doing that you can't like you only get one shoulder and you can get surgery on it and stuff. But well, we've two, seen that but happen with Cam Newton. We've seen that ha- happen with Andrew Luck. Two shoulders. but Well, one throwing shoulder. No one switched throwing shoulders. Just a yet, clarification. So fuck you. Just a but, clarification. Just a clarification. You do have two shoulders on your human body. But, yeah, long story short, monitor that situation. Uh, ice it. Rest it. He, like, of course you want him to take his reps, but it sounds like he's taken a lot of reps already, so... Let his shoulder heal. If it's the groin, you know, that is what it is. It happens. Rest the shit out of it. Rehab it. Stretch it. Figure out why. Don't overwork it. Don't overwork it trying to get back on the practice field when you've taken a thousand billion reps already and already led had an offense that led the NFL in scoring, threw the most touchdown passes, had one of the best quarterback seasons of all time, you know, a top 10 regular season all time, and rest, ice, rehab. Don't overwork it. Just be healthy. As many and, vet days as possible for him is uh, my opinion. It just feels like he doesn't really need a ton at this point. I mean, you want him to be developing chemistry with Boykin for sure. You want to be having him out there and, you know, keeping the chemistry going with guys like Andrews and continuing to develop that budding relationship with Hollywood Brown that everyone's very excited about. But, uh, yeah, man, if he's dealing with a dead arm, if he's got a groin issue that's going on, let's uh, give the guy a couple days off. That's what I say. Yeah, give him a couple days off. Don't rush him back. Let him hang out and practice a little bit. Uh, yeah, no no huge issue, but definitely monitor it. Definitely. So we have hit on our main three news items here. We're going to do some quick hitters before we jump into the comments. So first one up is Ravens make two additions, signing punter Johnny Townsend and wide receiver DeAndre White. Uh, that White signing comes after the team worked out wide receivers Des Bryant and uh, wide receiver slash returner Dwayne Harris. Looks like they're opting for DeAndre White, at least at the moment. Yeah, special teams guy. Played a lot of snaps at Gunner uh, in his career so far. And they needed bodies. Harbaugh said they needed bodies. There's a couple guys missing. They only had 71 when they usually have, you know, 80-plus at this point. So uh, get some bodies in there. Get some guys going. Get guys that are, you know, practice squad guys that can move up and down and play some Some Bennett Jackson type guys are needed. And I feel like that fits the bill. Yeah, the punter, you know, they just bring in guys every year. That is... Not a major news story, but yeah, they, uh, they're they bringing bodies in, getting bodies, warm bodies going. You need them. You need them to execute drills, execute practice to its fullest potential, and 
Uh, Got to have the bodies. When do they flip this punter for a fifth-round pick? 20 minutes from now. Okay, good. Moving on, J.K. Dobbins putting on a show in training camp practices. A lot of videos coming out. I, I tweeted, I try not to be training camp video hype guy. Uh, J.K. Dobbins is looking fucking filthy. Uh, a lot of flashy cutting ability. Surprisingly, spectacular plays in the passing game, jumping up and mossing guys. Um, I was already pretty excited about him as a draft pick. I know there were a lot of misgivings about spending a second-round pick on a running back. I get it, but looks like this guy's going to be a star, man. For sure. Definitely, you know, scheme fit plus talent, uh, both perfect fit for the Ravens. And while De- while Vaz hated it, he the thing is he's going to bring value as receiver. I've talked about this before. Ten percent of his snaps at OU were out wide, and he can run a smash concept. He can run the short curl, the shallow curl, or he can run a corner route in a smash concept. So I'm gonna do that a lot at OSU. He can run drags. He can run all kinds of stuff. He is the best route runner that the Ravens have in the running back room. Um, so that is fun because when the Ravens come out in 12 personnel, you see their huddle and something they did so often, the way they were able to take advantage of teams, they come out in 12 personnel or 13 personnel or 22 personnel, and it ends up being an empty shotgun five wide. And then you have got like Mark Ingram a couple of times. He was able to run some, some kind of, uh, paced go balls and fades where he's able to sneak in between cover two. And, and we, there's one in Cleveland where he made a great catch, kind of hurt his back a little bit. Um, a couple of those, you know, great stuff in, against the Texans as well. A couple of, you know, they split guys out wide. Justice Hill, Gus Edwards, Mark Ingram split out top, split out wide. And those empty sets a lot. They come in motion a lot. And Dobbins is going to be a do-it-all type back. He has the power and he has the elusive ability. We saw him shake the shoes off of Malik Harrison. And then apparently mossed Malik Harrison. So he's been dominating his uh, former Buckeye teammate uh, in individual drills past couple days and at the stadium. But... He is a one-on-one matchup nightmare. I mean, a guy in the open field, you get him the touches, you you know, throw him some screens, throw him some easy open field looks, some pitches, some things like that. He's gonna he can make dudes miss. Uh, led college football in 15 plus yard runs, and then we've talked about how many RPO runs he had. He had more RPO runs at Ohio State than anyone in the nation last year. The Ravens run out of RP, run RPOs and hand the ball off more than any team in football last year as well. So goes into the scheme fit, the talent, all that stuff. He's gonna be awesome. Uh, and yeah, I mean the, the running back stuff, you know, we were a little taken aback because they do have Ingram, they do have Hill, they do have Edwards, but running backs get hurt, man. And two of those guys go down and suddenly you got, you know, maybe justice Hill and a guy off the street. That's not ideal when you run the ball more than you throw the ball. So it's, they've, their running back room is about as good as anyone's in football. Very similar to the 49ers who have kind of a wealth of talent there in that running back room as well. And like to carry three, four guys at all times because Shanahan also likes to run the ball. And yeah, so Dobbins, I think is going to be a major player. He's going to be a factor in fantasy this year. Uh, I would think he's somewhere around, you know, 800 scrimmage yards plus possibly. And, you know, five, seven touchdowns, maybe plus. So a guy that, you know, is going to be a a fantasy option and get in the end zone and and make some big plays, get some first downs for the Ravens. And it's going to be interesting to see how those touches and those yards and all those statistics pile up with so many guys, so many mouths to feed with Gus Edwards. Maybe his role is lessened a little bit. Uh, Justice Hill as well. Feels like, Feels like you know they're they're going to lean on Justice Hill a little bit more this year and Gus Edwards a lot less uh, is, is the kind of vibe I'm getting. But the Gus bus will still roll. Guys, you know, second in yards per carry since he started getting major carries with Lamar Jackson last year or two years ago. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But yeah, Dobbins is a freak man, able to track the ball really well in the air. You know, hops, catch, great hands, like everything you need. The pass pro. Probably his weakest aspect, I would say. Um, he was also a lot more of a zone runner than a power runner at OSU, but I'm, I'm sure they can coach him into that as well and make him versatile in that department. But uh, definitely got to get him sharp in pass pro and able to step up. And he did uh, improve a lot from his sophomore to his junior year in the pass pro department in his freshman year. Uh, he was kind of hurt his sophomore year. And yeah, so getting him sharp there is important. He has all the tools to be able to do it and is going to be an all-purpose weapon for the Ravens. Do the do his abilities in the passing game say anything about the future of Justice Hill or no concern there? I think the future of the Ravens running back room is probably Hill and Dobbins. And then getting, you know, maybe retaining Gus, letting Ingram go perhaps next year or, or something of the sort, and maybe or maybe bringing another guy in. But I, I feel like Hill is going to get a lot of run. Uh, they're going to use him as a receiver a bit. They're going to use him on special teams a lot. They're going to get him touches. He 
was able to do some great things in the limited action that he played. Uh, really flashed a couple times. Also had some poor reps as well, but he's a rookie, so um, held not quite the same caliber prospect that Dobbins was, or it, I guess is coming out. But um, I think he'll be a factor for sure. I think he'll might be a factor more than Gus Edwards. Very cool. Okay, last one. We had Derek Wolf's Tuesday media availability. It's certainly going to be endearing him to Ravens fans after he revealed that a chat with former teammate and former Raven Elvis Doomerville was a big factor in him signing in Baltimore. Doomerville told him to sign with the Ravens, quote, immediately, uh, which Wolf, of course, proceeded to do. And then he additionally stated that he is finally home after spending eight years in Denver. I was kind of taken aback by this. I was uh, pleasantly surprised. Yeah, he seems like, you know, Doomerville... One of those classic veteran additions, not named Earl Thomas, that came in and really enjoyed his time in Baltimore, the Ravens single season sacks leader, and Ravens kind of stole him away from the Broncos. And uh, Wolf seems to be a happy, happy fit in Baltimore, a guy that was rumored at the trade deadline last year. So if he's happy and feels, you know, in the right place and in the right scheme and all those things, it'll go a long way. And Wolf figures to be an upgrade over Chris Wormley at that five tech position and should be able to give a little more juice in the pass rushing department and uh, be just as sturdy, if not more sturdy, in the run game. So Wolf being happy is a great thing. Some, a really veteran, skilled, uh, you know, down base defensive line there with Campbell, Williams, and Wolf, guys that are mega experienced, going to be able to hold up uh, in the run game as well as make some noise in the passing game. And Campbell and Wolf, maybe Williams will be a little bit more flashy as a nose guard again uh, in that department, but can't expect a ton of production there. But it's it's exciting stuff. That defensive front, it's it's really you know if they're able to really kind of take a huge step forward with these new guys and these and these uh, rookie additions and they're able to run with it it'll definitely go a long way in offsetting maybe entirely and then adding on positively in the loss of Earl Thomas very cool so that is pretty much all we've got for the run sheet today we can jump into the comments now here uh first up from MD law so hard our boys saying edit in the Dixie chicks into the intro I don't I don't get that reference Dixie chicks uh I mean, I know who they are. Like, why does that pertain to this? Man, I feel like a woman. You do? I guess. Is that what he's saying? I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. Well, he's been going hard at Earl. So, I mean, maybe there's some connection there. I don't know, but God bless him. Uh, also, saying, uh, It's probably something about Earl's brother or something. Yeah, that's what I was kind of alluding to there. Uh, Sick Flex on Jake showing off the soundboard. Mike Stan and Sound Foam. Hey, thanks for watching the last couple episodes, dude. I've had it, I've had it set up like this. Come on, you should know better. Know better, do better, be better. I also I specifically set it up because I want to look like Young Jamie. So I think I hope that's coming through. <laughs> Got Garnet Garnet chiming in with Yo and thank you. Not sure what he was referring to there, but what is up, Garnet? Ben Rose, our boy. Of course, KC gets to play us when we have a huge fucking question mark at free safety. It's true, but like, you know, it's kind of like I said, man, like Super Bowl contenders, rarely are they just, you know, a perfect roster top to bottom. So I don't know. This is what I forgot to mention on Earl. Okay. He he has had two major leg injuries in two of the last four years, I believe, right? We're not guaranteed to see him play 16 games. Like, what, what if you go on Dr. Chow, whatever the, the, the really famous Twitter medical doctor who or MD who uh, has gotten really into the, the sports injury likelihood arena and has a whole website on that. Like, I haven't clicked on Thomas's page, but I guarantee if you click it, there's a pretty significant chance of injury there. Guy over 30 with multiple fractures in his leg. Um, so, I mean, maybe it was better that in the end, like, this is, you know, complete speculation but maybe earl thomas goes down week eight or six or five or nine and then you have to kind of figure it out on the fly later in the season maybe it was better that it happened now who knows that's that's definitely a huge uh huge part of the equation as well as it is that <clears throat> he costed the ravens a third round comp pick because the ravens you know signing of earl thomas offset uh one of the signings of smith or mosley or whatever going elsewhere so it did also cost the ravens a end of the third round uh, comp pick in this past year's draft, but they had a big rookie class anyway, so that's not the end of the world. But Ben Rose talking about how KC gets to play, you know, the Ravens all the time. The Chiefs just kind of beat the brakes off the Ravens last year and didn't have Tyree Kill. Tyree Kill was hurt. Um, their left tackle was out. That's just the name of the game. You have it doesn't injuries. You can't complain about injuries. It has to be next man up. Depth is probably more important than talent, especially at non quarterback positions. Um, you got to make your own luck. And there's an argument right. that the Ravens, if they 
hadn't been so aggressive in that game, they would have been in it a little bit closer. But I'm glad that they were aggressive in that game, even if it meant losing it by double digits or whatever it was, because that established the blueprint for the rest of the season where they said, fuck it, we're going for it. We're not afraid. And uh, that wound up working in more games than it worked against them last year. So you got to stick to your guns. Right. Ravens were a really young team last year. And again, this year, uh, they're going to trot out an offense with no one on the other side of 30. It's all guys in their 20s. You know, Willie Sneed, older at 20, what, 27, 28 is maybe the, I guess, Flukers, probably 29. Um, Those are like the two oldest likely starters. So youth, but also experience, because a lot of those guys are in their second or third year with Baltimore. So it's exciting stuff as the youth now kind of has experience, but is still working towards that peak, working towards that prime. So, you know, the defensive side of the ball, there's some veterans, there's some younger guys, there's some guys in between, a good mix on the other side of the ball there. And, uh, you know, another good thing is that defense is a lot easier to fix than offense in terms of the personnel and stuff like that. Like we saw, we saw Marcus Peters come in immediately make an impact. LJ Ford, Josh Bynes immediately come in and make an impact. Like defense kind of translates from team to team a little bit quicker, uh, maybe not easier or harder, but a little bit quicker in terms of bringing guys in. So if they need to bring someone in, you know, they just did it last year. They're familiar with how to get guys up to speed, how to streamline all that and make their duty simple. So, uh, you know, a couple silver linings there maybe as well as some other quandaries, but definitely just a messy situation overall that takes all the headlines in this uh, podcast episode. Very true. Garnet saying trial and error is in full effect this year. Elliot has an opportunity of a lifetime. 100% agree. Spencer Schwink do you think more news will leak out about the Earl situation as it pertains to the Ravens, or have they moved on from the story? It doesn't matter if they've moved on. Stories are going to leak out uh, regardless, because I think there are people probably outside the organization that already know about this stuff from uh, it happening and it leaking to them. And uh, they them kind of, le- or kind of finally having the green light to do so. So I think stuff is going to continue leaking out like it already has with the car wash story. I think it's sort of just the beginning, and uh, I don't know if Earl is going to be painted in the best light, but we'll see what happens. Uh, getting down finally to Seth Jones, who was coming at our necks earlier, saying no interaction. There's five people in here. Uh, we had a little bit of a stack run sheet, so we wanted to wait till the end to interact. But here's your interaction, bud. What do you want to do with it? Take it or leave it. It is what it is. It is what it is. Okay, I guess that's all we got. That is all we got. Appreciate you guys. Um, I'll get my freaking situation figured out a little better as I'm staying in a hotel here for a little bit, but... Appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll try and get a mailbag up on Instagram and Twitter for our next episode, maybe Thursday, release on Friday, uh, something like that. And yeah, we'll, we're trying to get those two episodes a week back to how we were last year during actual football season, and it is almost here. Thank the Lord, we've got college football uh, labor over Labor Day weekend, and, and then the following week a lot more, so exciting, exciting stuff. Football is back, that excellent, excellent feeling, so... Loving it, living it, and let's do it. Oh, yeah. Appreciate everyone tuning in to this Tuesday, Wednesday edition. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at Podcast Beatdown. You can follow me at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. And you can follow Spencer at Ravens 4 Dummies. That's the number four in the middle. Check us out on YouTube if you're listening to this on podcast where you can find full video editions of the show. We're also streaming Periscope to the Baltimore Beatdown main account at Be More Beatdown. So be sure you're following that as well for Periscope. Uh, really appreciate you guys listening. Hope you have a great rest of your week. We'll probably talk to you before the end of it, but uh, until then, peace out. See ya. All right, thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right, God bless. Yeah. <laughs>